Hey friends, welcome back to the Declare podcast. Our mission at Declare is to equip women to walk in their callings as Christian communicators. So if you're a writer, a speaker, or a podcaster, then we hope you're going to find encouragement, inspiration, and practical tips to help you press on with your message. So if that's you, you're in the right place. I'm your host, Ann Watson, and I'm thrilled that you're joining us today. Ticket sales for the 2018 Conference Warrior are in full swing and going quickly. Make sure you make plans to join us in October by getting your ticket now. Also, we have lots of opportunities for sponsorship. So if you have a new book coming out or you have a ministry, you're starting a podcast, you have a business, you can sponsor this podcast or the conference. There's a bunch of options to choose from, and I promise you it's affordable. In our last episode, I talked with Michelle Acker, and we talked about her story of bravely coming out of hiding, what your superpower is, and why she hates it when people say that balance is a myth. She calls her life right now an experiment in obedience. She's also on the Declare Planning team, so you're going to get some great insight there too. That's episode number 72. Don't miss it. Today, though, we're on episode number 73 with Kristen Welch. Kristen is the author of several books, including Rhinestone Jesus and Raising Grateful Kids in an Entitled World. She's the blog author of We Are That Family and the founder of both Mercy House and Fair Trade Friday. She's also a Declare Girl, and so you can listen to the episode that she did, episode number 21, way back when our friend Heather McFadden was the podcast host, and you can hear her origin story. We are so excited to have Kristen back as part of the speaker lineup for Declare 2018. And today, we're going to talk to her about defining what God is asking you to do, changing the world, not fitting in, and why it's biblical to struggle. We also talk about her favorite Netflix show and some really weird things she's confessed to eating. This conversation is moving, inspiring, and a whole lot of fun. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get started with our conversation with Kristen Welch. Hey, Kristen, welcome to the Declare podcast. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy for you to be here, too. I know that you are a Declare girl. You were a former speaker at Declare, and you are coming back again this fall, which is really cool. All the girls that I know that heard you speak before are just crazy in love with you. Well, I'm excited. I feel like I'm coming back to a reunion or coming home. So I'm definitely looking forward to catching up with old friends and meeting new ones. That's exciting. Okay, but for people that may not have seen you at Declare before or been to the Declare podcast, why don't we just go ahead and start at the beginning? Can you just share a little bit about yourself and your family and maybe your journey to discovering your passion? Of course. So I'm a wife and mom. been married for, feels like forever, 23 years. I have three kids, an 18-year-old who's about to leave for college a 15-year-old and 11-year-old, so still definitely in the trenches of motherhood. I've been blogging at wearethatfamily.com for over 10 years now. So I am, I think blog years are like dog years. <laughs> yeah, that's old great. Blogger, it feels like. And so, yeah, that's just sort of where my online story began in 2007. And that journey has taken me to some crazy places. In 2010, just as my blog was really starting to grow and I had this amazing online community, I traveled to Nairobi, Kenya with Compassion International on one of their blogging trips. And that trip sort of wrecked my life in a lot of ways and catapulted me and my family into a nonprofit world. After that trip, I came back and just knew that God wanted me to respond and not return to really just the status quo, mediocre, middle-class life that I had. There was nothing wrong with it. There just wasn't a lot of joy and purpose in it. And so because I was a blogger who chronicled my food and everything else, I 
sort of invited my community to come with me as we started Mercy House Global in 2010. That changed a lot of things for me personally and professionally and led to me authoring some books. And now my day job is a writer, but mostly it's leading Mercy House Global. Okay, well, tell us a little bit about Mercy House Global. How did that start and what does it do? So Mercy House started from that initial trip in 2010 with Compassion. It was really just an exposure trip for me. And I wrote about poverty in the fund to get kids sponsored. But when I returned, I knew that I wanted to respond in a deeper way And so we opened maternity homes in Nairobi, Kenya with an indigenous staff. Actually, the staff that leads those homes were Compassion International graduates. And so because of that initial connection in Kenya, we hired that family to start maternity homes. We used some money for my blog to do that, to become a nonprofit and went through all of that hard, scary process. Really, the flagship ministry of Mercy House is maternity homes in Nairobi, Kenya. We have three homes there. We have rescued more than 45 pregnant teen girls between the ages of 12 and 16. And those girls got pregnant, most of them through survival, prostitution, or trafficking. And we really wanted to create this loving home environment for them, which we've done, but in an effort to prevent girls from ever needing a home like that. About four years ago, we really started focusing on job creation through fair trade products. And that really exploded Mercy House. And so now we have retail stores in Texas. We have a monthly subscription club called Fair Trade Friday that we started four years ago that has about 4,000 monthly members. We sell a lot of fair trade product to provide jobs for women in poverty so that they won't ever have to make those difficult choices. And then also a lot of the women that make fair trade product for us have actually been rescued out of trafficking. All of that endeavor helps fund our maternity homes. So it's really a full cycle. Our vision at Mercy House is to rescue girls, empower their families with dignified work so that we can redeem future generations. And we get to do that in about 29 countries and we just do it for Jesus. So it's a wild, adventurous journey, but it's been been great. It's really changed my family. So I want to ask you though, because I have had my heart broken for several things in the past like this, but all the time I kind of think, I don't even know where I would start. I don't know how I would even help. You have obviously taken steps to help and to pour into this area. Did you have doubts about doing it in the beginning? And then what were the first things you did? I still have doubts, um, and I'm almost a decade in this. You know, I think that One of the callings that God has given me personally is to encourage and inspire women just like me who are moms and wives, that we all have a calling and a purpose. It's all going to look different. You know, not everyone's going to do exactly what I did. But God doesn't ask us because we're adequate or even able. He likes bad odds. I mean, if we go through the Bible, we can see that he used unlikely, weak, sinful people to accomplish his work on earth. So I definitely did not say yes to this calling because I knew what I was doing. Every day, I think I still ask God, why me? And I need help because I don't know how to do this. But I think that's the beauty of doing something for Jesus is it's very clear to the world and to those who know me personally and who have been impacted by this ministry that it is not something that a family could do. It's been divine and God gets to be the hero of the story and we get to glorify him because we're not adequate and we don't know what we're doing, but we've tried to surround ourselves with people who do. And also there's just a lot of trust and faith 
really just wild obedience and leaning into him and asking him, okay, what's the next step? I firmly believe that every single person who is following Jesus has a divine calling to do something for the kingdom. We use our time, our talent, our resources. I like to call it our sweet spot where our passion and skills collide with God's timing. And he has something for all of us. And um, just pressing in and not letting our doubt and insecurity and inadequacy stop us from doing that. You are so right. But tell me, just kind of practically speaking, what was the first step that you did? Did you call somebody or did you go back over to Kenya? Just practically speaking, what was the first thing? The first thing that we did is we defined what it is we thought God was asking us to do. Because obviously, global poverty is an issue that's always been with us. And women are the most people group in the world. So how exactly do we make a dent in this and not coming from that background or even feeling adequate to do that? It's overwhelming. And I think you just start with a first small yes in front of you, that first step in front of you. And for our family, that was just defining what does God want us to do? And we felt like he wanted us to empower women. I was a blogger who wrote to women and to moms. So that felt doable to me, just to connect women who don't have with women who do have. And so we just started knocking on every door in front of us and some that we pursued and we walked through the first open door and we did what God wanted us to do and then knocked and it led us to where we are today. So that's obviously a very simplified version, but I think that's what God wants us to do. And some doors he closes and some we don't walk through, but making ourselves available and asking, you know, okay, we want to empower women. How do we do that? What does that even mean? And we just went from there. Well, and you haven't just created Mercy House Global and Fair Trade Friday. You're also an author, and you have a new book coming out in May. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, I'm super excited about this book. It's called Raising World Changers in a Changing World. It's really a book about joy and purpose. And for our family, that has come through the road of generosity. And I think that if we live in North America, we're three quarters richer than the rest of the world. And I think that we have to ask ourselves why we were born, where we were born. And if we're honest, it probably wasn't so that we could have more for ourselves. And so that's really the premise of the book, but it's not a shame or guilt-based story at all. It's all about when we answer that question and then answer the second question, what are we supposed to do about what we've been given? It really leads us to a life of generosity, sharing our time, our talent, our resources, Uh, even our money with those who have less. And what our families, if they're written from a parenting perspective and how this decision to give our lives away has really impacted my family because I'm still predominantly and primarily a mom and a wife. Raising kids with this global perspective the last decade has really changed the way that we parent. And I think when we can model this for our kids and for our family, we learn that giving is truly receiving And when we give our lives away, that's where the joy that we long for and the purpose that we crave is really identified. And so have your kids always been on board with that program? Oh, of course not. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, I mean, they, you know, they're kids. And the book that I wrote uh, two years ago was called Raising Grateful Kids in the Entitled World. And when we started down this road, you know, just a few years into leading a nonprofit and traveling overseas quite a bit with our family, I realized we had a big entitlement issue, mainly because my husband and I had entitled our kids. And I think even movies are parenting books are really for adults who are responsible for other people. And so 
I realized that this really beast of entitlement was something that I had in my own life. And gratitude was really the antidote for what was ailing us. And so, you know, anytime you try to live upstream or change the course that you're on, there's going to be resistance and obstacles. And, you know, everything I've ever written is from the trenches. I love that I can be vulnerable and honest and say, I do not know what I'm doing here, but this is what God is teaching me. And so there's definitely, I don't write from behind a desk or as a professional, just write from the trenches and let people into the mess of what it looks like to be a world changer. It doesn't mean we don't have family fights every time we try to play a board game together or, you know, that my kids don't lose their minds when I declare it's an immediate day, you know, but we still do it. We are brave and courageous as we lead our families because when we step into that place of putting others before ourselves, we're changing the world. And so it's really about the small daily yeses and the upside down kingdom of being last instead of first and putting others in front of ourselves. I mean, this is where our families are changed and this is where we are changed. And I think that's what's been very humbling about this entire journey is I'm still that same exact mother, but really this process of saying yes to God and doing what he's asked us to do has really magnified my humanity and my need for a savior. So we just lean into him and, and ask him to, to help us every day. And we fail and, and mess up and then get up and keep going. There's a lot of encouragement in that, you know, knowing that God takes us as we are and he uses us anyway. I love that. And I have to ask you a little bit more about No Media Day. Tell me about that. Yeah. So I personally think that media, especially social media and just having access being online all the time. It's such a challenge for me as an adult to control myself and to unplug. And I think that for our kids, it just feeds so many negative things that we struggle with in our homes. It feeds entitlement. It feeds ingratitude. It feeds even perspective because we see everyone's picture-perfect life and we feel bad about our own. I think unplugging is as spiritual as a Sabbath. And there are times when it's just healthy. Of course, when we do it, no one's happy for the first 30 minutes. And then we rediscover what life is like without being plugged in. And it's great. We enjoy it. So yeah, I think that if we're going to allow our families to be connected, then we have to be responsible and be disconnected. And there are really good things to happen when we do that. Oh, that is so good. I know that Chris Kane says that she fears that our generation or the next generation's biggest issue is that they're going to miss life because they're so busy scrolling through their feeds. Mm -hmm. So true. But you said that you just sort of like, they're not happy for the first 30 minutes. That makes me think that maybe you just kind of drop these on them like a bomb. You know, they don't see them coming. (laughs) Well, no, it's pretty much every Sunday after church. We have a no media for the rest of the day. And every Sunday, all hell breaks loose because I hope (laughs) we'll forget or... You know, I mean, they're human. Kids are kids. I read years ago when I was researching for my last book that children ask for the same thing nine times. They're very persistent and very consistent. And most parents, after that ninth time, just finally say, okay, you can have it. You can do it. You can be it. You can, you know, we just give in. I always think of that when I know me today. <laughs> we're going to keep being consistent and keep trying. But, you know, we're we're human. We're normal. And I think... One of the hardest parts of this journey the last decade is for 
people to put our family on a pedestal or treat us like we're any different from their family. And I think that is Satan's way of trying to get us not to fulfill the calling God has for our families. Because if he can make us feel inadequate and weak and we could never do that, we could never go there, we could never be those people, then we don't do it if we listen to those lies. And my family is no different from anyone else's family. We're not special. We're not unique. We're not more precious to Jesus in any way. And I feel like that's a mission of mine to break down that wall and really minimize those lies because we all have a mission. Our families have missions to respond. You know, we are where we are for a reason. We live where we do for a reason. And it's not so that we can keep everything to ourselves and, you know, buy an American dream so that we can share what we've been given and change the world. That's a really interesting perspective that people would be hard on you guys or critical or judgmental because of the things that you're doing. They're going to assign some characteristic to you, like maybe you think you're better than everyone else or something, which isn't true. It's not even fair, but it is kind of a reality, I think, in our culture. Yeah, it is. And I think we like heroes. You know, we live with that Hollywood mentality. And it's not even so much criticism, although we've had our fair share of that. But it's not criticism in necessarily directed towards us. It's really criticizing your own family, you know, using it as an excuse. We just couldn't do that. We don't have what it takes to change the world or to give in that way or to sacrifice or to follow what God wants us to do because we're not good enough or we don't have enough X, Y, Z. And I truly think that's a lie of the enemy, that the mission God has for all of our families is to glorify Him. And there are a million different ways to do that. And so think it doesn't obviously it's not going to look like what our family is doing, but that doesn't make our family better in any way because we all have a path that God's asking us to walk on. I, I can't tell you how many moms have stood at my front door, you know, I have baby clothes to donate to your maternity home or they're there to in some way and they say, But I could never do what you're doing And I'm like throwing the door open and saying, Look at my piles of dirty laundry and my arguing children. Look at my mess. I can't do it either. It's God who says, just say yes and I'll do the rest. My inadequacy isn't any different than anyone else's. And I think that makes us warriors for Jesus when we know who we are and know what we're not capable of. And we say yes anyway, so that he is the hero of the story. He's the one doing the miracles and the impossibilities. I love that you said warriors for Jesus, because the Declare Conference theme this year is all about being a warrior. And so that's something really important to us. And that is about debunking those lies and being authentically ourselves and leaning into our callings, which I think is what you're doing. It's wonderful. And I love your authenticity too. like, look at my piles of laundry. I'm curious about your kids again, because you said they're 18 and 15. And what's the other one? 11. 11. So they have to be having a little bit of a different perspective from their peers. How are they managing that? You know, it's been a difficult journey, but it's also been one that I don't think any of us would change. The minute you stand up in a current that is flowing in one direction and you start walking the other direction, it's hard. And kids by nature want to fit in. They want to be included. And we didn't set out to ruin our kids' lives, but we did set out to live differently than the world. And I do believe that that is a calling for all believers to be aliens and strangers. We're not going to look like everyone else. And so that 
truth has been something from the very early days of parenting that we have embraced. It's okay to not fit in. It's okay to be different. I think that in this journey, one of the things that we discovered is how critical perspective is. And in our culture, it's so easy to compare ourselves to other people. And we are very good at comparing ourselves to people with more. I mean, no one has to teach our kids how to do that. And as adults, we struggle with it. It's just human nature. But what we discovered as parents and in our family is that we do have to teach our kids how to compare ourselves with people who have less than us, who live in different places. That's our responsibility. And when we do that, when we say, yes, this part of the world and where we live, we have so much. And yes, these friends have more and they get to do more, you know, whatever's making them feel unincluded or different. But let's compare ourselves to the rest of the world, which is actually a much larger proportion who don't have what we have. And when we do that, when we teach our kids to compare themselves with people who have less, we are putting ourselves in the middle. We're not just one-sided any longer. And we're showing them perspective. We're reminding them what they have because they're seeing what others don't have. And that's where gratitude is born. And I can attest to the fact it hasn't always been smooth. There have been definitely difficult seasons where my kids struggled with what God has asked us to do. But because they've been shown perspective, it has registered with their hearts and in their spirits they know and they realize that we're in the middle. We don't have what everyone else has. We didn't choose that path, but we also didn't choose to be born in a third world country where my 18-year-old has to survive a prostitute. And my kids, they've grown up with that bubble being ruptured and they know how the world works and how with the choices that people have to make. And because of that, it's done multiple things. It's given them a good, healthy perspective and a worldview. And it's stirred up some gratitude that I don't think would be there. It's also presented other difficulties. I feel like they grew up kind of fast and matured quicker than a lot of their peers and made them feel like they, they don't always fit in. But it's also turned them into little world changers. When my youngest was five years old, uh, Mercy House had been around for three years. So she knows nothing else other than this is what my family does. She wanted to have a play date. And so I arranged with a mom at school who I didn't know the other little five-year-old, the kindergarten, to come over and spend a couple hours playing. And I watched my daughter, who's now 11, at the time five years old, giving her friend a tour of our house. It was so cute. You know, she was like, this is our bathroom. <laughs> this oh, is our that's couch. Cute. She got to the kitchen and she said, this is our refrigerator. And all of these people who are on the refrigerator, you know, we had magnets of different faces. These are the girls that we helped in Africa. And she turned to her friend and she said, what does your family do? And it was such a natural, like, you know, these are the people we helped. Who do you help? And when it becomes this natural, organic outlet for our family, it becomes normal. And so it takes some time and sacrifice and commitment to turn that ship. But my other kids were much older and, you know, there's a positive peer pressure to make these choices. And I can't even begin to describe the joy and purpose that is contagious and it makes you want to continue to do it. It feels so good. I, I truly believe God created us to give our lives away. He did not create us to keep everything for ourselves. And when we share our time with someone, our talent with someone, our home with someone, our table with someone, 
we want to do it again and again because of the connections and the joy that is born in our hearts when we share what we've been given. And so now, you know, years into this, although there's still, you know, we're human and nowadays we don't want to have company or whatever, you know, we all have those periods of those seasons that are difficult. But I would say my kids are the first ones to say, oh, yes, this exchange student can have my room for the years. My daughter who's going to college is giving her room at home to a Ukrainian pastor's daughter who is going to study here in our town. And she's the one that offered. And yesterday, a family left our house. They come down for cancer treatment at MD Anderson because there's this access to this amazing medical center. And they come every three or four months and have scans. And they stay in my son's room. And he was the first one to offer his room because we don't have cancer, but we know someone who does. And this would bring me joy to share you know, my room with them. And I think that is changing the world because it's giving us opportunities to see the needs of others and respond. I feel so inspired by that. And I also feel like maybe I did it wrong with my kids, (laughs) you know, like because they are entitled and we live in an area of entitlement where everybody's Mm -hmm. entitled and often bratty about it. And so what hope do you offer for parents who didn't jump on this bandwagon early, who want to make changes now? Yeah, I think it's never too late. And I don't want anyone listening to think that we don't still struggle with entitlement. (laughs) I mean, in our culture, I believe everyone struggles with entitlement. It's the negative result of the American dream, which we were all sort of taught to buy into. So we can't beat ourselves up because we had entitled kids. You know, we just have to do what we can to try to change what we can. And it's never too late to offer encouragement or to say no or to introduce our families to perspective. And you don't have to travel overseas to do it. I mean, some of the most life-changing opportunities that my family has had have been in our city. You know, we have a huge refugee population or we have, um, I mean, my son who has a burden for teen boys his age who don't know Jesus. I mean, he makes it his goal to invite them to the youth group and to start Bible studies with them. And, I mean, you know, it does, you don't have to have a global ministry to change the world, but you do have to start where you are with what you have and say, God, I open my hands and give this to you. This is my time. Say, what can I do with that? This is my talent. I'm really good at cooking. And who can sit at the empty place at our table or have a guest room? Who can sleep there tonight? I mean, you use what you have and you offer it to God as a sacrifice and say, use me, use what I have. When we do that, it's bringing some perspective into our home. It's shining a light on the entitlement because we're going to have kids who don't want to share their meal or who don't want to share their room, but you do it anyway. Then the rich uh, relationships, they got a clear scan this morning. They went back to Missouri and my kids couldn't wait to ask me, is she still in remission? And when are they coming back? And we've we've been doing this for four years. This family's been coming. And now they're family friends. And our kids have become friends with their kids. That would have never happened if we hadn't made ourselves uncomfortable and said, okay, we're going to invite these strangers and be their friends while they're in our city. And we're the ones who reap the benefit of that. I mean, sure, they save on a hotel bill a few times a year, but we're the ones They get to be a part of their miracle. And so it's never too late to offer what you have. 
And so my next question then is, because I love everything that you're saying, but how do you keep the pendulum from swinging the other way to where you are soaking just in guilt and wanting to adopt a million children? Like, how do you stay balanced? Well, and that's definitely the other end of the spectrum. When I first returned from Kenya in 2010, I was a mess. I mean, I didn't shop at Target or TJ Maxx and my favorite stores for a solid year. I tried to buy everything fair trade. I lost friends. I swung to the opposite side of the spectrum. And it was just as unhealthy for my family and for me personally. I realized one is as bad as the other. And it's, you know, living with shame and guilt isn't of God. There's no condemnation in Christ. And so I think if we're doing something for the kingdom and we're doing something for others, that's where we start. Naturally, if God leads us to do more, then we walk through those doors. But I think, honestly, one of the biggest problems in our culture is we never get past that, well, I can't do anything. And so we don't do something. And we kind of stay in that place of believing those lies. I always say that I struggle with purchases that I make. I struggle with anything that I feel like God wants me to do. I'm not so obedient and holy that I'm like, okay, no, I struggle with still to this day. And this has become a lifestyle for us. I still struggle. And I think it's biblical to struggle because it shows that you're in the middle. You're not veering too far on the side of everything's about me and I get everything I want, that beast of entitlement. But you're also not living where you're sacrificing and raising kids who hate you because you never take a family vacation and you give all your money away and you're not healthy. I mean, that's not good either. Right. And so when you put yourself in the middle, you struggle. And so it's always a struggle for me, but we, I feel like we live in a healthy balance of we take a family vacation and we do good things for others. We, you know, it's a balance of all of those things. And there are definite seasons where I mean, the other day I was actually arguing with one of my kids and, she threw out that she didn't ask for a mercy house childhood. And I'm Ooh, telling you, it gutted me. I mean, I sobbed. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> and oh, um, that's I was telling my husband, it was very painful. And he said, she may not have asked for it, but one day she'll be grateful for it. And of course, the next day, the same kid came and said, I didn't mean that the way that it sounded. And I'm thankful for what our family does and what we get to do. But it's not always easy. I mean, you know, Jesus never promised that it would be easy. He just promised he would be with us. And so have we always gotten it right? No, we haven't. We've made a ton of mistakes and we've learned from them and we try not to repeat them. I would rather give my child a mercy house childhood than an entitled one. And if they end up needing therapy or counseling for that, I'll pay for it. (laughs) You know, because I definitely am not getting it all right. But I think that there are so many things that have happened within this childhood that they will be thankful for, you know, and they probably just can't see it right now because they're so close to it. But that's the risk for sure, but it all belongs to Jesus. And he parents us as we parent them. So I definitely took a lot away from that, you know, and, and heard my child, which I think is crucial in parenting to hear them and meet them where they're at. I think that that is so great. You know, my mom used to say that your child's only job is to figure you out. And so, you know, from the moment they get up in the morning, they're trying to figure out what is acceptable, what isn't, what makes you upset, Mm -hmm. what makes you happy. 
And uh, they learn. They learn to push our buttons. They learn the things that are hurtful. But bravo that she not only recognized that she said something hurtful to you, but that she had the courage, I think, to come back and apologize. I think we need to teach our kids about the art of apology these days. I don't Mm -hmm. see that enough. No. And I do think that something that's critical for parents if you want your kids to apologize to you, then you apologize to them. I don't right. think our kids see us apologize to them enough when we're wrong, when we lose our cool. I mean, yesterday I was hurrying my youngest out the door. She's in a play this weekend and we were running late and I was anxious and really just griping at her. Hurry, hurry, hurry. You know, then I drop her. And at one point she was like, I don't care that I'm late. I just don't want you to be mad at me. And I just felt so convicted. I'm like, honey, I, I'm not mad at you. I'm just stressed. But you know, I heard her pain in that, that I am more important than this schedule. And so when I picked her up last night and tucked her in bed, I apologize. Please forgive me for putting the schedule in front of you and for hurting your feelings. And I mean, it's critical. We have to be the example and model for what we want our kids to be. And if we're not giving, they're not going to give. And if we're not apologizing, they're not going to apologize. And if we're not changing the world, they may not change the world either. I mean, we are their example. And if they're trying to figure us out, then they're doing what we're doing. They're following our lead. Where are we leading them? What are we showing them? What are we modeling for them? And so, yes, it's for parents, but really it's for us. This message is for us. There's so much to chew on and to think about. And I'm sure that there's a lot of this in your book that comes out in May, right? Yes, this is the message of the book. And one of the fun things about the book is there's conversation starters at the end to have with your family. And I turned and asked my kids the same questions that I ask parents to ask their kids. And then my kids wrote the answers at the end of every chapter. And it's from their perspective, the hard and the good. At one point, I asked my son for advice on parenting and what he wrote back made me cry and it made me want to beg forgiveness. And I mean, our kids teach us so much too. But I did that because I wanted parents to see our humanity, but also that kids who are, you know, 10, 11, 12, 15 years old, they can go against the flow and there can be joy and purpose for them as well as for you as a parent. I love it. I absolutely love it. And I'm definitely going to get a copy of that book. But, you know, I wanted to ask you too, because you have this huge passion and you feel this burden and this responsibility And you are over, you know, your blog and these books and Mercy House and Fair Trade Friday, and you're getting an exchange student and you're helping cancer friends with all of that going on. How do you decompress? What do you do for fun? Oh, that's a very good question. Actually, last year, 2017, was a very difficult year. I started the year feeling really burned out and was feeling really convicted and it really like God was speaking to me that I was resting very poorly. Then my husband was in an accident and crushed his ankle and I sort of became his caretaker too, you know, for weeks and weeks. He was actually could not walk for 17 weeks and it was very difficult. And I sort of crashed and burned and realized that my well was empty and nothing to draw from. So I got into counseling and started taking a regular day off. We went to our board that run, you know, they govern Mercy House and we said, we're just on fumes. They started enforcing an annual sabbatical for a month that we take off so that we can do fun things and catch up on laundry and sleep late. So I've not always done well in that area, but in that year, I learned to 
binge on Netflix, which is something that my husband thanks God for. That I that's so funny. So because I've never been a big TV watcher. And it hasn't been like a spiritual thing. I just, I love to work, but I ended up becoming a workaholic in this mission to do what Jesus asked me to do, which is just as unhealthy. And so I started reading books for fun instead of for work. I love to thrift shop with my girls. That's something very passionate about. It also sort of meets our, we try really hard to not purchase things that contribute to modern day slavery. And so thrift shopping really fits that bill. We love to eat food from different cultures. Our family started once a month trying, and we live in Houston, which is a hugely diverse city. And so um, we try Peruvian food, Bolivian food, Nepali food, you know, every month we pick a different kind of food to try. And so those things are very much a part of who we are as a family, sort of what we enjoy doing, but there's no purpose behind them other than this is something fun that we can do together. So I feel like we're still learning, but I feel a lot healthier this year than I did last year, just knowing that this is a marathon. It's not a sprint and I can't change the world if I'm not in it. So I've got to slow down and take time for what is important. And especially having kids that are so close to leaving home, it really makes you want to cherish all the moments that you're going to miss. And so I'm in that very sentimental last year of my daughter being home. And so I'm very thankful that God slowed us down last year so that we could really just capture all this time together. Okay, so I have to ask then, since you've become sort of professional Netflix binger, do you have a favorite show that you've loved? And do you have a favorite book that you read just for fun? And out of all those different foods that you tried, do you have one that you just fall in love with? Oh, let's see. I went back through and watched every West Wing season. I love, I guess, there's sort of political or Madam Secretary things that make you think that they're not raunchy, I guess. Right. <laughs> the best way to determine it. And gosh, on food. I love food. I love Asian food. <laughs> um, probably Thai food. I've really fallen in love with very authentic Thai food. There's a large Asian population in Houston. But I also realize I'm not picky. I will try anything. I've had caterpillar. Um, I've had termites. I don't necessarily love it, but I'm not afraid to try it. Oh, and you're so brave. It's so fun. <laughs> when you, and of course, kids love stuff like that too. And so it's been fun ordering things that, you know, walking into restaurants that they don't speak English or um, when we traveled to Kenya as a family about two years ago, you know, trying to get back to that place of doing meaningful things with our kids where everything doesn't feel like a sacrifice, but there's joy in the sacrifice. So on our way home from Kenya, where we would work literally nonstop like dogs, we would always lay over in a country that we had never been to before. And then we would find a cheap online hotel room or an Airbnb and stay for two or three nights in a foreign country that we had never been to. And then we would just explore and have adventures. And that's been just a perk of being able to travel overseas together. We have done that three different times as a family and ended up in cities I've never even heard of in the world in languages I cannot speak, ordering food that I don't even know what I'm pointing at, and then having a blast with my kids and just the perspective and the just opening their minds to things that we don't do on a daily basis. It's such a joyful part of parenting 
and it brings some perspective. So it's got so many purposes. Well, and it makes for great storytelling too. Yeah. I mean, I will tell you, we've had huge family fights on all of those trips. Oh my goodness. You're jet lagged. You can't read a map. You're getting on the wrong subway. You're so tired. And, and you just realize, ah, we're just like everybody else. That's so funny. <laughs> but you know, I have maintained for a very long time that it's the things that go wrong that are the stories that you mm-hmm. keep telling for 20 years. That is so true. We've had a lot of things go wrong. Well, Kristen, we are so excited to have you come to Declare in the fall. And I'm so excited about you talking about, you know, what being a warrior means to you. We talked about it a little bit earlier in the podcast here. And so I'm excited to, you know, hear more about that from you. But before we sign off, I just wanted to ask you, because you are a writer, you know, an author, a speaker, do you have right now kind of a favorite tool or app, something that you are using that is just making your life easier? And is there anything that you were just done with? You're just over? Oh, my goodness. I am probably not the person to ask this question to just because I feel like I'm a bad blogger because Mercy House has become a full-time job. I don't get to stay up on everything. I couldn't get Skype to work, as you know. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> so. I mean, just a good old-fashioned Google Calendar. I feel like I set alerts all day long. (laughs) It keeps me on track. I live by a Google Calendar. I do, too. I totally get it. Well, I'm going to definitely put the links to everything that we've talked about on the show notes today. And so people can go to that and get connected with you on your blog or at Mercy House Global or Fair Trade Friday. But Kristen, I just thank you for coming on today and sharing your heart and your wisdom for this stuff. I just am so inspired right now and feel like I have a little bit of work that I have to do, but I also feel charged up, ready to go do it. And I just thank you for that. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity and for helping me tell the story. Oh, absolutely. And we're going to keep telling that story, uh, especially at Declare. So we will see you in the fall and look forward to hearing more about all of your adventures then. I just love Kristen's heart and it is incredible to see the tangible favor of God when you simply obey the call in your life. You can follow Kristen and find all the links to everything we mentioned today in the show notes at declareconference.com. They're also available on your mobile device, so just keep scrolling down on the episode page. Here are the rest of the notes for today. Get your tickets for Warrior, the 2018 event, today. The price is going to go up again soon. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or through the website and share it with all your friends. The podcast is also available on Stitcher and Spotify, so take your pick. Don't forget to leave us a review. We love to hear from you guys, and it really helps other Christian communicators like you find us and get connected. Finally, sponsor the podcast or the conference. It's so easy to do. Just send an email right now to info at declareconference.com and we will get back to you with everything you need to know. Ladies, we love our Declare community so much. We are so thankful for all of you and we're so grateful for how you put your trust in us. You guys are truly the best. So that's all. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time on the Declare Podcast. Mm -hmm.